Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Luke chapter 18, verse 28, Peter said, We've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit. They will flog him with a whip and kill him, but on the third day he will rise again. But they did not understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of the crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, Have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front of him yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, All right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see. And he followed Jesus, praising God, and all who saw it praised God too. I want to talk to you tonight from a Bible study titled, God is Able. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, God, for allowing us to hold your word in our hand. Thank you for teaching us by your spirit. I pray now as we look to your word that you would be our guide. In Jesus' name, amen. Been reading the book of Luke this month, and I was reading this part of the scripture today, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to take some of these things and share it with the church tonight. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to walk through this, and and I want you, as always, to see how you can read the Bible and pull something out of it, because that's the goal. The goal is, is, it's not enough just to say, I read my Bible. I can remember growing up in different churches after my parents got divorced, they kicked us out of the Catholic church, put us in a Baptist church. And they made us fill out these forms in the morning. They called them the envelope. And on the envelope, you had to check whether or not you were putting money in it, which I always thought that was funny. Uh, you had to check if, you're, if, if you brought your Bible with you. You had to check if you read your Bible every day. You had to check if you went to visitation that week. And I'm like, man, this, they're asking a lot of stuff out of a 10-year-old. But that's funny. And I thought from that age, they really want me to read my Bible every day. Because that was one of the boxes. Bible read daily. Check. And everybody checked it whether they did it or not. But that's a good thing to do. If you can say that you read your Bible every day, that means you are seriously devoted to this thing. But it needs to go further than that. As you read it, you need to get something from it. As you read it, you need to be able to pull something out of it. Lift off the page something that you can apply to your life. Something that you can say, I'm going to concentrate on that. I'm going to do that. So let's walk through this together. It says... In, uh, in verse 28, put verse 28 on the screen for me, Car. Peter said, we've left our homes to follow you. 
Jesus is talking in the previous verses about who can go to heaven and who can't go to heaven, and how hard it is for rich people to get in heaven. And so here comes Peter, our guy from this morning, our guy who's always got something to say. And he says, well, what about us? Because, you know, we've left our homes to follow you. He was promoting what he and Jesus' followers had done to Christ. But I want you to know, God was not moved by that. It didn't shock God that someone would give something up for him because God, from the very foundation, before the foundation of the world, the Bible says Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God knew before there was an Adam, before there was an Eve, that he would be giving up his son's life for the redemption of his creation. So God is not shocked or overwhelmed by our giving up something to follow him. He expects it. Peter didn't understand that, and many times today we don't understand that. We look at ourselves and like, well, somebody needs to recognize I made Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Well, there's no cookie for that. There, there's, there's, there's no attaboy. There's no gold star for that. But the Bible does say that God sees everything that we do for him and that he rewards our labor. And I want you to understand that. You may feel like I've given up so much for my faith. Well, honestly, none of us have given up what God has given up. None of us have given up what the apostles and the prophets gave up. None of us have given up what our grandparents and great-grandparents and generations before us gave up in deep fellowship of Christ. But there is a cost for fellowship, and I need you to get that tonight. There's a cost for following God. This, this religious mindset that people have in America in 2016 is not Christianity. This uh, I call it condiment religion, where they're just looking to add God onto the side, where you go to a restaurant and they say, would you like some steak sauce with that? Would you like some ketchup with that? Well, they just want something off to the side to add it on, and that's how most people approach the Lord in their life. They don't want God to dominate their life. They don't want to surrender anything to God. They don't want to give anything up for God. They don't want God to be first and foremost and preeminent, which really is the only way you can have him because he says you'll either have all of me or none of me. They just want God off to the side. Just add a little salt, add a little pepper, add a little ketchup, add a little steak sauce as if God were a condiment. God was never designed to be that. I hope he's your main course. I hope he's the whole meal for you. Uh, Peter was, was almost bragging, saying, look, what about us? You're talking about who have people who haven't done anything. We've left our homes to follow you. Don't ever get so caught up on what you think you're sacrificing for God as if you're giving too much and not getting rewarded. The Bible says to remember God's benefits. There is a reward in serving God. There is a reward in following God. And Jesus tells him in verse 29, Yes, Jesus replied, I assure you, that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. He said, look back in verse 29, he said, Jesus replied, I assure you. When Jesus says, I assure you, that's something you can take to the bank. That's something you don't have to question. That's something that you should be solid and convinced of. Jesus isn't giving a hope so, maybe so, this might happen for certain people that were born on a Tuesday afternoon under a full moon when the stars were shining. He said, everyone, say everyone. I assure you that everyone who has given up anything, say anything. Whether it, see, it's not literally, specifically, 
housewife, brothers, parents, children. It's anything. It's giving up something. It's sacrificing something. Listen, God honors sacrifice. Sacrifice is painful. If you don't understand that sacrifice is painful, you've never watched anything be sacrificed. The original sacrifice had to do with killing something, shedding its blood, cutting it open, and draining it out on the altar. This is not something that's clean and easy and soft. This is something that is painful and hard and difficult. And Jesus said, I assure you, you have his assurance that if you ever sacrifice, if you ever give up anything... For the kingdom of God's sake, listen to verse 13, you will be repaid many times over in this life, comma, pause on the punctuation. If you give up anything, if you sacrifice anything, your Sunday night to come to church, your time in the morning before work to pray, your late night that you stay up to be in the word, you're hurting back on your knees when no one is watching. Anything that you sacrifice for the Lord, he promises will be repaid. God is not a man that he should lie, the scripture tells us. If God says something, it will always come to pass. And he makes his promise here that anybody, not just great Christians, not just preachers, not just people who do more right than wrong, not just people who have a thousand Bible verses memorized, not just people who are soul winners, not just people who pay tithes and give offerings, but anybody who gives up anything, for God. Listen, I can promise you this. I don't like owing people. I don't know if any of y'all like that. I'm sure Jimmy's like that because me and Deacon Jimmy are almost the same. And uh, we, we got a lot of similarities, don't we? <laughs> Hopefully she hadn't told you any time stop being too much like him. Uh, if he gets in trouble when he acts too much like me and Sister Nancy has to tell him stop acting like your, your pastor. But I know that there are men in the, light, in, in the world and probably some women in the world who, who are like, I don't want, I'd rather... I'd rather you owe me than I owe you. I don't want to be in your debt. I'd rather pay for everything everywhere I go. You might call that pride. You might call that whatever. But I don't want to be in your debt. The greater would never be in debt to the lesser. But the lesser is always in debt to the greater. And God is never going to be in debt to us. There's never going to be a time where anybody will be able to stand before God and say, you shortchanged me. You didn't give me enough for what I gave you. But anybody who ever really does stand before God will be able to tell him, you did more for me than I did for you. You were better to me than I was to you. I owe you more than you owe me. See, there's a, there's a, a, a mindset that's pervasive in churches today where people honestly feel like they're doing more for God than they're getting rewarded for. Where, as if, when am I going, when's my ship going to come in? Your ship came in 2,000 years ago on Calvary. Your ship came in this morning when God gave you two, to let you open two presents, your eyeballs. Your, your ship comes in every second of the day with the oxygen that God provides us freely in, in this universe where we can breathe, where, where we're clothed and in our right mind. Stop wondering when your ship is going to come in and realize that God never shortchanges us. And he said, I'm not going to let myself be indebted to you. I'm not going to let you work hard and be able to say that I owe you something that I didn't pay you for. God always pays. And Jesus said, I assure you that everyone who gives up anything for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, not for your pride, not for your self-glorification, not so you look good, not so people will pat you on the back, not so you can say, check me out, but you give up something with the right attitude. You give up something with the right heart. You do something for God with a sincere heart. 
God says, I promise you this, you never will be able to not get paid for anything that you've done. He said, you will be repaid many times over in this life, comma, in this life. That's the part I want you to get out of this. We know that it'll all be worth it in the sweet by and by. We know that one glad morning when this life is over, we'll fly away. We know soon and very soon we're going to see the king. We know that Jesus went away to prepare a place for us, and, if, and, and because he went away, he doubtless will come again to receive us into himself, that where he is there we may be also. We know that there is going to come a day when Jesus steps out from the throne of heaven and he comes to gather his children from the four corners of the world. That's the great hope of the church, that he's coming back to get us. And so most people's view of payment, most people's view of goodness and and worth it all, it's going to be worth it. When they sing songs, it's going to be worth it, they're talking about when I finally get to heaven. I talk to people and I ask them how they're doing. Well, I'm just holding on, waiting on Jesus. And they really think that the payoff is in heaven. And there is going to be a payoff in heaven. But Jesus said there's going to be a repayment many times over in this life. If you get your mind right, if you get your heart right, and you start sacrificing some stuff, you can take that money to the bank. You say, well, pastor, it doesn't always have to be money. No, it's whatever you sacrifice. You say, well, can't God repay me how he wants to? God is God of logic, order, and science. God already said you reap what you sow. If you plant apple seed, you will grow apples. If you plant orange seed, you will grow oranges. If you plant love, you're going to grow love. If you plant friendship, you're going to grow friendship. If you plant money, you're going to grow money. You want them to have more money in your life? Give more money to the church. How's that working out for you, Stacy? That's working out. How's that working out for you, Alyssa? That's working out. People who are willing to give to the Lord always understand God gives back. His promise is to repay. I had somebody one time come into a little bit of money, and they said, Pastor, you've done really good in investments. How can I invest this money? And I've told you all exactly what I told them. Give it to the Lord. And people think that that blesses me. (laughs) That don't bless me. Dina's going to write my check on Tuesday for the same amount of money she's been writing it for for 10 years. I haven't had a raise in 10 years. Nobody on our staff, everybody on our staff took a pay cut when we came here. That check does not go up and down based on how much money comes in. Don't ever think that because I I say something about the offering, it's because I need money. My check's going to come in as as long as the doors are open, Uh, unless it gets too tight, and then we'll do what we did when we were building that big building on Blanding. I'll just go without a check for a couple of months um, until the church can get leveled out. But when you invest your money in God, he repays. You can't get a better structure than that. If Donald Trump, if you can listen to him, or Bill Gates, if you listen to him, or any of these other people who are rich and famous told you, here's a good way you can invest your money, I promise you, if you invest $1,000 in this, you're going to get back more than you invest. Most people would take that. Most people would say, hey, I need to jump on that little insider information. There's no greater source than God. And the insider information with God is whatever you give up for him, he's going to repay you many times over in this life, but he goes on to say, and we'll have eternal life in the, in the world to come. We cannot lose with what we use. We cannot fail with the one that we believe in. We cannot outgive God. I have people tell me, Pastor, I've learned that you're telling the truth. I, I, you just really can't outgive God. I told you, don't say that to me because I check your tithing record. Most people aren't even trying. But the truth is you can't outgive God, but most people won't give enough to find out. You can't out-sacrifice God, 
You, you can't give too much. You can't give without being rewarded because the promise of Jesus Christ is that whatever you give, whatever you sacrifice, if your heart is right, he's going to repay you many times in this life and eternal life in the world to come. You need to understand the duality of your blessing. You don't just need to be holding on for heaven. That's awesome. That, but that's pie in the sky in the sweet by and by. What we really need is some help right now in the nasty now and now. We need help today. We need strength today. We need more money today. We need more joy today. We need more peace today. We need more love today. How do we get that? We sacrifice for God, and we let God repay us because his promise is you will be repaid in this life many times over. Then in verse 31, he said he took the 12 aside. And he said, listen, we're going to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. If you ever really want to get blown away in Bible study, Google Old Testament prophecies concerning Christ. Just Google Old Testament prophecies concerning Christ, and it will blow you away. Or invest in some good books. Go out and get Wilmington's study guide to the Bible. And it's got a whole section of Old Testament prophecies that came true concerning Christ. And it will blow your mind. There is no way that Jesus could not have been the Messiah. There is no way that God could not have planned all this out millions of years ago because of the specificity of who he was, how he was born, what he went through, what he endured, how he lived, where he was born, where he traveled to after his birth, where he grew up, what they called him, what they associated with him. There's so many Old Testament Thousands of years before he were born, prophecies slash, if you want, predictions about who he would be and how he would come forth. And every single one of them came to pass. And he tells his 12, hey, we're heading to Jerusalem, and this is where it's all coming together. It's about to happen. All the things that they prophesied about me are about to come true. In verse 32, look what he said. He will be handed over to the Romans, and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. Now, you got to get this in your mind. Here's Jesus, God in the flesh. He can do anything. He can teleport himself anywhere. People say he could call down 12 legions. He don't need 12 legions of angels. He could speak, and the whole world fall over backwards as if they were dead. He did that when the guards showed up to get him. He doesn't need any help from angels. He doesn't need any help from anybody. He's God all by himself. But he's saying that these things are going to happen to him. Why? Because it's his journey. You need to understand, even as he had a journey, you have a journey. And maybe your journey is going to endure some hardship. Maybe your journey is going to endure some mockery. Maybe your journey is going to endure some being mistreated. But if he went through that, How are we, in our own minds, too good to go through that? If the master has been hated, why wouldn't they hate us? If he's been mistreated and he's our leader, why wouldn't we be mistreated? Do you realize churches try so hard? I'm so glad we're not an average church because I just don't have the energy for it. I don't have the time or the energy to be butt-kissing and, and, and neck-hugging and patting backs and kissing babies and, 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 and politicking and trying to keep my job here. I'm here at the behest of God. I'm here by the, by the anointing and the calling of God, and when God gets done with me, he will move me on. I don't have to shake hands. I don't, but pastor didn't even shake my hand. Nowhere in this book does it tell me I have to search you out. When, when I'm tired, when I'm sweating, my kids come up to me and like, oh, Dad, you're, you're, your jacket's even sweaty. 
I need to go sit down, son. Stop talking about it and get, open the door. Churches try so hard to placate and to politic. Churches try so hard. Smiling, chicken-eating, grinning preachers. I ain't saying nothing bad about being having a nice pastor with, with, a, with a pretty smile. But listen, you ought to know when you're getting played. I go to churches sometime and I'm like, do none of these people know y'all are con artists? Do none of them, can't none of them tell, oh, brother, we're just so glad to see you. You're just the sharpest looking. You, you just look like a genius. I mean, you just, we're just blessed to have you in here. I feel my spirit is elevated. Just the shine on your head has made the whole room. I mean, do you not know when you're getting sucked up and lied to? But this is what they do. This is how churches run in the world today. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. It is about are you willing to sacrifice anything? Jesus' journey included hardship. But we want our journey to include head and not to tail, always above and never beneath. We want to pick out a handful of half verses, and we want to try to misinterpret them and act like, you know, if, if you give $55 to this ministry today, God's going to give you a $55 anointing. There's nothing like that in the Bible. These liars on TV have manipulated all this stuff. And trying to make it all. I love what one writer put on the back jacket of his book. He said, if the road that God had for his son to walk was the road of suffering, why does the church expect their road to be the road of blessing? If God chose for his son a brutal death, a misunderstood and rejected life, why would he choose for his followers such ease and grease? And always being pleased. It just doesn't make sense. Jesus is telling them, this is what's about to happen to me. Why? Because this is the road that the Father has laid out for me. Verse 33 says, they will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. Jesus is telling the story that's already been prophesied. Jesus is telling the story of what is about to happen. He's telling it to his 12. These are guys that have sat with him at meals for months. These are guys that have listened to every story he has to tell. These are guys who have witnessed the miracles. These are guys he has empowered with miracle anointing to go and do the miraculous. And he's telling them what's about to happen. And look at verse 34. How sharp was his 12? But they didn't understand any of this. Do you see what that says? They didn't understand how much of it? Any of it. People think, oh, man, this church is blessed. They've got so-and-so leading their music. Oh, man, that church is really blessed to have so-and-so. He's just such a gifted blah, 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 blah. Listen, the 12 people that Jesus picked didn't even understand the basic plan. What am I saying? We are all weak and insufficient. But God can take a group of nobodies and do something incredible with them if they will let him. God took what was called then ignorant and unlearned men, and he used them to change the world. God can take simple people and do incredible things. God can take people who don't understand. Listen, don't get mad at yourself because you don't understand all mysteries, and the Bible doesn't always make sense to you. This is the biggest part of the story. He's been telling them this story from day one. He's been telling them since his first preach off, tear this temple down and in three days I'll raise it back up again. They, right over their head, right over their head. They don't get it. Why? Because we're ignorant and ignorant and simple. But I thank God that he loves us even when we don't understand everything. Please don't feel like you have to be smart 
to honor God. Please don't feel like you have to understand the plan to honor God. Please don't feel like you have to get it all figured out before you start putting one foot in front of the other. Get up every day, read your Bible, say your prayers, make good choices. Put one foot in front of the other and glorify God as best you can. When you fall, you get back up. When you fall again, you get back up again. And you just keep walking this road that God has for you. God knows the direction. God knows the journey. You don't have to understand it. He did not understand any of this. He didn't sit them down and ask them, how can y'all be so stupid? Now, there were times where he just said in human frustration, uh, have I been with you so long? Have I told you so many? And still you don't understand. I mean, Jesus was a human being, but they, they didn't understand any of it. The Bible says the significance of his words was hidden from them. And they failed to grasp what he was talking about. Now, you know, if you've been around me for any length of time, a couple of things about me. Number one, I love the Bible. And number two, I believe the Bible is specific. The words in the Bible are specific. They didn't understand any of this. That makes them look at fault. The significance was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp. They failed to grasp what he was talking about. That makes them look at fault. But look in the middle part of the screen. The significance of his words was what? Hidden from them. Stop asking God to show you everything that's going to happen tomorrow. Stop asking God to show you everything that's going to happen around the corner. Stop asking God to show you exactly how everything's going to play out. Because guess what? If you knew how everything was going to play out, you would already quit and head for the mountains. Stop asking God to know everything. You're not going to know everything. Why? Because some stuff he's just hiding from you. You know why? Because it ain't going to turn out the way you want it to, and it would depress you beyond belief, and you just want to hang it up and be done. So there's something God's just going to keep from you. You say, why would God do something like that? Listen, God doesn't have to ask permission. God doesn't have to get authority from anybody to do anything. He does what he wants to, how he wants to, and when he wants to. But the good news is he has a plan. Say plan. God has a plan. And whether we understand it or not, whether we we catch the significance or whether we grasp what he's talking about, whether he hides some of this stuff from us, We've got to have a I'm going to serve him anyhow mindset. Can you, can you believe that? Can you get your mind around that? What if he never gives you what you want? Will you serve him anyhow? What if it doesn't turn out for you the way you want? Will you serve him anyhow? What if you never, what if you never get that one thing that you so desperately, would you serve him anyhow? Or are you just going to quit? That's what Jesus had to ask him in John 6. He'd done all these miracles. People ate up the fishes and the loaves. Then he started preaching hard truth to them, and they all left. Don't think the sign of a real church is millions of people, thousands of people showing up. Jesus never had that. Oh, they show up for the food. But when the teaching came, they scattered like cockroaches. And he looked at his disciples and said, are y'all going to leave too? And Peter said something that I hope is in your heart. He said, where are we going to go? You're the only one. See, we sing that song I searched all over. I can tell you the truth. I am sure. I'm 52 years old. I've been all over this world. And I've read a lot. I love to read, and I, I read a lot, and I've read a lot in my lifetime. I've studied world religions. I've looked at a lot of different stuff, and I can promise you this. Jesus is the only one. He's the only way. He's the only real God that there is. So next time you start feeling faint, next time you start feeling weary, next time you start feeling like, I'm not getting out of this, what I'm putting into this, God is cheating me, you better realize he's the only one. And if you're willing to give up on him, you've got nowhere else to go. 
They didn't grasp it. They didn't understand it. God kept some of it back from them. Look at verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. And I love this part. There is a, I don't even know if it's on the radio anymore because I quit listening to the radio. But growing up as a young preacher boy on the west side of Jacksonville, going to Luther Rice Seminary, being told by all these great professors and men that were leaders in God's kingdom who I should be listening to and who I should be following. And they're like, you need to listen to WROS. All right, well, I got to listen to the Christian Rose of Jacksonville with, with redneck Elwin Hall coming on singing every day at 4 o'clock. But they had a show on, and I, I, I don't know, it came on sometime between 10 and 11 o'clock. And it was a dude named Lester Roloff. And Lester Roloff was a great Bible teacher, simple, country, couldn't sing a lick. But his show opened every day, and it may still be, it should still be on the radio, but it opened every day with bad singing this song. One sat alone beside the highway, begging, his eyes were blind, the light he could not see. And he, he, just, he just grinds out this song, it cracked me up so hard. But it's talking about this story right here. Jesus is going in to the city to be beaten, to be tortured, to be crucified. And in his final moments, he approaches Jericho, and there's a blind beggar sitting beside the road. Verse 36 says, when he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what's happening. Get the picture. It's this blind dude sitting on the side of the road. He hears the hustle and the bustle. Something's going on. What's going on? He can't see, but he wants to know, so he opens up his mouth. If your eyes don't work, open your mouth. If your mouth don't work, open your eyes. If your eyes and your mouth don't work, learn sign language. But don't just be left in the dark. This man had an infirmity, but he was not going to let him, it stop him. So many people have one infirmity, two infirmities, just a little something wrong with you, and you just let that shelf you for the rest of you. You just like, like I'm just not as good as everybody else because I'm, I can't do this well, or I'm, I'm dyslexic. Reading is hard for me. I don't understand. Listen, don't let that stop you from pursuing God at a high level. This man couldn't see at all, but he had enough sense to ask, hey, what is happening? Verse 37. They told him Jesus the Nazarene was going by. That's all they told him. That dude from Nazareth, Jesus, is walking by, and all these people following him. His big noise, big crowd. Look at verse 38. So he, who, the blind beggar, began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, as Western civilized Christians, as people living in America that know more about the TV show Friends or Seinfeld or, or South Park or Family Guy or NCIS or whatever, Family Feud. We know more about TV than we know about Jewish culture or even biblical culture. But when this man cries out, Son of David, he's recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. He's recognizing that Jesus is not just the Nazarene. Jump back to verse 37 on the screen. They said Jesus the Nazarene was going by. They didn't tell him the son of David was going by. See, this is how I want you to study the Bible. I want you to look for stuff verse to verse that brings clarity. 
I want you to look for specificity. I want you to look for things that add greater insight. So they tell him Jesus the Nazarene is going by. They didn't tell him that Jesus the Nazarene was the son of David, the promised Messiah, the Redeemer come to redeem all of Israel. He had already made up his own mind who Jesus was. He couldn't find Jesus because he was blind. But when he got in a place where he heard that Jesus was close by, he sure wasn't going to miss his opportunity. So in verse 38, look what the Bible says. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Listen, we need to take a lesson from this blind beggar. Whether you have to shout, raise your hand, Scream, lay on the floor, and cry. You need to get God's attention. He couldn't see where the best place to stand was. You know, if you're going to a parade, if you're going downtown to watch the fireworks, if you're going somewhere to see something, you, if you're standing in line at Disney and they're about to open the, door, the double doors and they tell you to stand behind. If you've been there a couple of times, you know where the best place to stand is to get the best, the, the best view. He didn't have those benefits. He couldn't see what part of the crowd he should position himself in. But he used the one thing he had. He had his voice, and he was going to be heard. He was going to make sure that Jesus, the Savior, did not pass him by. And you need to figure out a way to get God's attention in your life. If reading the Bible doesn't hit you in your sweet spot, you need to pray more. If praying more doesn't hit you in your sweet spot, you need to sing praise to God. If singing praise to God doesn't hit you in your sweet spot and bring peace to you, you need to sing worship to God. If singing worship to God doesn't doesn't bring peace into your life, you just need to lay on the floor and cry and bawl it out to God. But you need to do whatever it takes to get God's attention. And that's what this man did. And he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Why would he be so adamant to start yelling, attempting to yell over a crowd that he didn't know if he was in the front of, the back of, or the middle of? Why would he be so determined to raise his voice? Because it's all he had, and it's the only way he could try to get God's attention. And he was not willing to let his opportunity pass because he knew he had a need. Here's the problem with people in this room right now. Here's the problem with people in church right now. Here's the problem with people in the world right now. They do not recognize they have a need. They feel self-sufficient. They feel, I'm okay. I hear that all the time. How you doing, daughter? How you doing, son? I'm, oh, I'm, I'm fine, pastor. Praise the Lord. Really? Why not be honest? Maybe you are fine overall, and I'm not advocating complaining because I might walk off while you're talking. But I am advocating speak up. Be honest. Admit your need at least to God if to nobody else. So he's yelling. He's shouting, Jesus, son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. Verse 39, here's what people do. Be quiet, the people in front of him yelled at him. Listen, people sitting next to you right now, unless you know them really well, and most of y'all do, there are people that sit right next to you in church that don't want you to get your blessing. There are people living in your house that may not want you to get your blessing. Mama, daddy might not want you to get your blessing. Your own children might not want you to get your blessing. Your best friends might tell you to shut up about all that Jesus and just deal with it. Let me tell you, don't ever shut up about all that Jesus. Don't ever give up being desperate for God's help. Because once you give up being desperate for God's help, here's what you're telling a holy God that you think you're okay and you don't need him anymore. These people told this man, you shut up. You be quiet. (laughs) And it says, but he only shouted louder. 
That's the kind of people we need. We need people who refuse to miss out on God. We need people who refuse. You don't have to come back on Sunday night. I get to come back on Sunday night. You don't have to be there on Tuesday. No, but I get to be there on Tuesday, and I'm going to go because God might show up. I told y'all, y'all know how some of y'all's luck is. Think about Thomas. We call, doubt, we call Thomas Doubting Thomas to this day. Why? Because when Jesus made his appearance to the disciples the first time, Thomas wasn't there. Thomas shows up later, and they're like, you missed it. Jesus showed up. And he's like, man, I've been here every day. One day I missed. The Lord shows up. That's why you should never miss church, never miss Bible study, never miss women's night, never miss men's night, never miss anything that you're invited to or allowed to come to. Because you know your luck that one time you miss, that's going to be when the Lord shows up. He was not going to miss his time. He just shouted louder. Listen, don't let people turn you off from the Lord. Don't let people drown you out away from God. You press your way to God no matter what it takes. He shouted louder, what, the same thing? Son of David, have mercy on me. Almost the exact same thing. What word did he leave out? Jesus. You know why? Because even though we, we sing that Jesus is the name above all names, Jesus was a very common name. Jesus of Nazareth wasn't the only person named Jesus. Half that town was named. Well, not half, but lots of people were named Jesus. I mean, we still got Spanish people naming their children Jesus, or at least last name De Jesus. Common name. And there were a lot of Jesus in that crowd probably, but there was only one person who was the Messiah, and he wasn't looking just for any Jesus. First time he yelled out, Jesus, son of David. This time he just yells out, son of David, because he's not looking for human help. He's looking for divine help. Most people come to church looking for human help, looking for the pastor to help them, looking for the deacons to help them, looking for friends to help them. People leave church feeling upset. Nobody talked to me. Did you get to sing to the Lord? Nobody acted like they cared if I was there. Do you believe God saw you? We got to press past wanting human intervention and look for divine intervention. Do you see how if you look at the specifics of the word, things will step out to you and make sense to you? Verse 40, when Jesus heard him, come. When Jesus heard him. Now, see, Jesus is sharp. Jesus is supernatural. Jesus is not dim-witted. Jesus never misses anything. Remember the time where the lady touched the hem of his garment and he was in a great press and people were just gathering all around him and Jesus said, somebody touch me. And the disciples said, are you crazy? You see all this crowd? Everybody's banging into you right now. What do you mean somebody? Jesus knows when somebody really wants his attention. God said the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth looking for one person whose heart is loyal to him so that he could show himself strong on their behalf. God is looking for somebody who's desperate for him. Because until you get desperate for God, nothing else is going to work out in your life. Because everything else is temporary, but God is eternal. Jesus heard him. He stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. <laughs> All these people telling this dude to hush, now they got to carry this, this blind beggar up front through the crowd. Make way, make way. Get out of the way. Hot coffee coming through. This man's important. Jesus called for him. And they brought him. And as the man came near, Jesus asked him, look at verse 41. He said, what do you want me to do for you? Question mark. Always pause on the punctuation. This is what Jesus asked a blind beggar in the city of Jericho 
2,000 years ago. What do you want me to do for you? Now we believe the Bible at Abundant Life. The Bible says God is no respecter of persons. What he does for one, he'll do for the other. The Bible says we have these stories for our examples so that we can understand God through them. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if Jesus asked this man, what do you want me to do for you? What do you think it would be reasonable that Jesus would ask you today? What do you want me to do for you? Oh, nothing, Lord. I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm always above and never beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm so good. If I was any better, it'd be two of me. That's not what the man said. Jesus knew what was wrong with him. Everybody around knew what was wrong with him. The man was blind. He couldn't see. Jesus didn't say, you're obviously blind. Would you like me to heal you? And see, this is where all the liars and, 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 and the God-haters miss out. Well, if there's really healing in the world, why don't one of these fake healers go into a, a, a hospital and just heal everybody? Jesus never went to a hospital to heal everybody. Jesus didn't seek out people to heal. P- people got to come to Jesus and ask for help. Jesus responds to people who ask for help. He just wasn't randomly walking up into the leper colony saying, all right, all you lepers, come on over here and get what I got for you. That's not how the Lord operates. He will ask you what you want, and if you have no answer, you get no help. And I believe the reason why so many people have so little is because they ask for nothing. If God showed up in your life right now today and he said, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Not mama, not daddy. Not what do you want the preacher to do for you. Not what do you want from the government. What do you want the man that you're calling for? the Redeemer, the Messiah? What do you want, the Son of David? What supernatural thing? What thing do you want done for you that I'm the only person on the planet could do? What do you want? He said, I want to see. Here's my question to you tonight. What do you want? You ought to have that on the tip of your tongue. What do you want God to do for you? What is it? What's the big thing? Oh, this guy could have said, I need you to pay my rent. It would be pretty ignorant for a blind man to say, I need you to pay my rent, when his biggest need was to see. He could have said, I'd like you to give me more joy in my heart. That'd be nice. I'd like you to give me more friends. That'd be nice. I'd like you to do, you know, help me lose weight. That'd be cool. I'd like you to help me, you know, break this addiction. That would, no, the big thing, the thing only God could do what he couldn't do for himself. See, most things we could do for ourselves. You want to be happier? That's self-help books you can read. You want more peace, joy in your heart? That's self-help books you can read. You make better choices, life will get better for you. But there's some things only God can do. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Now, a lot of people have taken... The last five words out of that verse and believe that their faith could make anything happen for them. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus doesn't say your faith will heal you. It was a conjunction of things that had happened. The guy had faith that Jesus was the son of David sitting over there yelling. But it wasn't until he had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus and talked to Jesus about it that anything happened. So don't ever believe that faith is the only element that you need. Don't believe this name it, claim it, blab it, and grab it stuff that all you got to do is believe and it'll jump off into existence. That doesn't work. If that worked, I already told you, they wouldn't ask for money on TV. they just believe for it. 
If that worked, we wouldn't have to go out and serve God. We'd just speak salvation to everybody in Jacksonville, and we'd have a great city. It's not how it works. There, there's more to it than that, but it does play a part. The faith, what, the faith that Jesus could heal him? No, the faith that Jesus was the Son of God. The faith that Jesus was the Messiah. The faith that Jesus could do for him more than he could do for himself. The faith that he had that caused him to ask for the right thing at the right time. Most people given the opportunity would ask for the wrong thing at the wrong time. Most people given the opportunity would be so short-sighted they'd want money. When God knows that there are bigger issues, this man came for his greatest need. He said, all right, you can have what you asked for because your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. A couple things and we'll go. In verse 43, I want you to know that if God ever does anything for you, the proper response is to follow Jesus. Most people don't do that. Remember when he healed the ten, how many came back to thank him? One. He said, you came back, where are the nine? People come for what they can get out of Jesus, then they leave him alone. That's, that's heinous and hideous. Don't be that person. If God ever does anything for you, the proper response is to follow him. I want you to know that God already has done much for all of us. If he never does anything beyond what he did at the cross, he's done more than we could have asked for. And the proper response is to follow Jesus, but not just to follow him. He followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. I want you to know this, and I'm closing. God wants to do a miracle in your life. And he wants to do a miracle in your life because he wants you to follow him. And he wants you to have a testimony. He wants you to have a testimony so that not only will you praise him, but other people will praise him too based on what they see in you. God wants to be bragged on. God said, I will glorify my name in all the earth. God's just looking for somebody to give a blessing to that he can trust will follow him on the other side of their blessing. People who've been in church leadership, they, they realize people come on the con and on the scheme to church to try to get what they can, and when they get it, they drift out. Single people come to church looking for what? Marriage. Broke people come to church looking for what? Money. Lonely people come to church looking for friendship. You can get all that from church. But I've seen it time and time again. Once they get what they want, they drift out. That's not what you need to do to respond to God's blessing in your life. You need to follow Jesus continuously. You need to praise God so people can see it, and they'll praise God too. You ought to want your life to count for the kingdom. You ought to want your testimony to count for the kingdom. You see there are people in this church that testify almost every time there's an opportunity. They're, they're not proud people. They're not people that want to hear the sound of their voice. I know these people. They're, they're, they're not arrogant people. They are people that want to make sure that God's voice gets heard. They are people that want to make sure that God's goodness is talked about. They are people that want others to know that this God that pastor is talking about is real, and I love him, and he's doing good things for me, and I can't help but to tell somebody about it. That's what God wants your life to be. He wants your life to be a shining example. He wants to give you stuff to praise him about so other people will praise him too. You need a I want people to praise him too mindset. You need to have a mindset that says I want God to bless me so other people will praise him too because they see what he's doing for me and they believe he can do it for him, them too. Will you ask God for what you need? That's the question.
See, I said the title was God is able. It doesn't matter what you need. God is able. He's got everything. He's more than able. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. There's nothing that's hard for him. What is the big thing? What would change your life? You heard what Dina said. And I can understand that as a parent. She was fasting what? For salvation for her children. Well, it doesn't get much bigger than that, does it? I mean, you can miss a rent payment as long as your babies go to heaven, right? I mean, you can walk to work as long as your kids have eternity. You can go hungry as long as you know your babies get heaven on the other side. What's the big thing? Do you even pray? See, Jesus is not going to walk past us in a crowd today. That day is over. That was a set time in, in, in space that God had prepared for the earthly ministry of Christ 2,000 years ago. But he's here right now. And he says you can talk to him anytime. You don't have to shout over people, and you don't have to press past people telling you to shut up. You can get his ear anytime you want to. And every time you call on him, his response is the same because he never changes. What do you want me to do for you? I want you to start telling him. I want you to start telling him. Almost 10 years after my wife died from cancer, yesterday in a movie theater, we were watching a movie about Jesus. I just started crying. Seth knows why I'm crying. He just starts rubbing my arm. I, I send him a text because I don't want to talk in a movie theater. Not a text. I just type it on my screen. I miss mom. He starts crying. Jake hands me his phone of a montage he just put together on Instagram of pictures and a song. Almost 10 years later, I'm still asking God. To give my kids their joy. I know what my big things are. I got lots of needs. I'm ready for my back to stop hurting. I'm ready for a lot of good things to happen in my life. I'm ready for a lot of people to get their mind right and press forward into their own destiny. But I'm never going to give up asking God. Give my son his joy back. I know what my big thing is. My back, if my back hurts every day for the rest of my life, I'm a 200-pound grown man. You know, I'm out losing Jimmy, by the way. When he told me he was going to lose, I can't let him beat me in anything. When he told me he was going to lose weight, we've been the same weight since I've known him. We, we've been 206 together for a long time. We rose up into 220s together. Uh, when he told me he was going to get under 200 pounds, I thought, not before me. trying to say nothing to you over here deacon but uh that's 197 right there i can live the rest of my life fat with a bad back hurting neck crazy church members people don't want to treat me right but i know what the big thing is i want 
that only God can do. And I pray for it all the time. Is there anything you pray for all the time? Do you pray all the time? Do you think it matters? You don't have to shout him down. You don't have to press past people telling you to hush. You get to talk to him anytime you want to. And this is his question. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want me to do for you? See, I'm not tired of praying for it. I wish it would happen. But I'm not going to stop praying. Because I know only God can. And I want you to have some prayers that only God can. And when God does that thing for you, I want you to shout it from the rooftop. God did this for me. And I love him. But the Hebrew mindset is very different than the American mindset. The American mindset is, bless me and I'll follow you. The Hebrew mindset is, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. God's not looking for an American church. We need to understand America is completely insignificant. People want to try to talk about America's role. America has no greater role than Canada in the end of time or in God's eternal picture. All souls belong to the Lord. But God is a Hebrew. And his mind is Hebrew, Hebraic. And he sees things the way he taught his people to see things. Can you see life that way? Will you serve him if you don't get your big thing? Will you serve him in weakness? What did he tell Paul? Paul, the greatest Christian that ever lived outside of Jesus. No doubt about it. God used him to write almost half the New Testament. Changed the whole world. Traveled, did more for Christ than any human being's ever done. Couldn't get his own healing. Couldn't get his own blessing. He said, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed for this thing. And I asked God and I asked God and I asked God. And he was raising dead people. And he was healing blind people. And he was healing crippled people. And he was changing cities. He couldn't get his own. And God told him, and he believed it, my grace is enough. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Serve me in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. Serve me in your pain. My grace will carry you. Stop focusing on what you don't have, and you serve me anyway. And whether you get your big thing or not, you need to have a I will serve him. I will follow him. And I'll brag on him for every good thing I can think to brag on him for. Because our God is great and greatly to be praised. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your word. God, I thank you for each person who pressed their way back into your house tonight. Lord, I pray that you would teach us your word plant these truths deep inside of us help us pray more lord god i pray that you would give every one of us a big thing to ask you help us lord not to be quiet in your presence but help us to cry out to you for the thing that we need thank you for your compassion on your people thank you for your love for your people 
Thank you, God, for doing more for us than we could expect. Thank you for being better to us than we deserve. God, you know the heart of everyone in this room. You know what we need. You knew what that blind man needed, but you still made him say it. Help us to say it, Lord. Help us not to live on an attitude of you know it. Help us to say it. Help us to talk to you and to ask you for our need. We believe all the right things. Help us to do the right things with our belief. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.